how in the world can you not hear a song like that and not be changed from the inside out? Man, our God is greater. He's bigger. He's stronger than any of the mountains that we face. Man, I don't know if Josh was manifesting, but revival is coming, right? Revival's here. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for the team. That's, man, I just a word I needed to hear this morning. So I don't want to skip past that. Like, I got stuff written here, but I don't want to skip past that for a moment. So I just want to stand in, in a moment of prayer just for a moment before we start. So, Father, would you continue to bring revival in our hearts? God, revival isn't a place. It's not a building. It's not a conference. God, it's a coming to you and knowing that we need you on a daily basis, Father. You are bigger, you are stronger, you are greater than all those who stand before us. And we, don't, we aren't moved because of our own strength, but because of your strength, God. So, Father, would you bring revival in our hearts? Would you change us from the inside out? Would you allow us to move mountains by your name, by your power, and by your will? Not by our own. Father, we need you. God, we sing praises to your name this morning. God, whatever is happening in Asbury, would it happen within our own hearts? And this morning, would we just break out in a way that is so glorifying to you in Aledo, Illinois? And that first, that, that song right before God, yes, I will. Would we just live saying yes to you, God? That it, it's, when we're living with you, God, it's not a no, it's a following and obeying. It's a yes to you, God. Yes, I will follow you because you are greater than anything that stands in our way. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this message through, John, uh, through Josh's team. And, and just, man, what an incredible amount of, of just, just feeling your presence in worship, God. But we need that. Let me pray. Would you continue to, throughout this week, pour revival through us, God. We change our hearts, change our minds. And would our hearts be changed for you in a way that just explodes in Aledo, Illinois. Outside of this church and explodes in a way that glorifies you. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Man, I just want to thank you guys. Um, I have, like, Texas is, is where my heart is. I love Texas. But Aledo, Illinois is my home now. And you guys are my home. And so I want to thank you guys for continuing to love me. I have more meat in my freezer than I've ever, ever owned. And sometimes that's an issue. I, had a, I made a steak last night. Probably one of the best steaks I've ever made. So uh, thank you, Adele, wherever you're at. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. So, so good. But thank you guys so much for your love and for all the, the just praying and gifts for me to be here. It is such a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord, to pray and to worship like that. Man, that's what's needed for me. So thank you guys. A couple years ago, uh, when I first joined Life Action, I had a little Ford Fiesta, and I actually ended up selling it because I wanted to use those funds to, to help fund me on the road, and I didn't really want my car to be sitting for a whole year. I didn't really know what a car situation for a team member looked like, so I went in and sold it, and I was on the road for two years, but in between those two years, I had a job in Michigan that I really needed a car, and so I was kind of like just really praying while I was on the road before uh, summer break came. God, would you provide me a car? And so this guy that knew my, uh, my family knew that I needed this car, and so he purchased one for me from his daughter. And you can show that first picture. This is the car he purchased, okay? 
Here you guys have salt and snow. There we have the sun, okay? And the sun destroys cars. And just like salt and snow, it destroys this car. And so he shows a picture of this car that he told me he's going to give it to me. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to do that. Man, I'm so thankful. You're back in Texas. First of all, I don't know how you're even going to get it here. But I appreciate the, the offer. Man, I'm really thankful. And you show that next picture. This is the car he sent me. The exact same car from the picture before. See, he was an incredible mechanic, and he's just really good at body work. And so he sent me this. He actually shipped it to me on a big flatbed trailer and sent it to me. And I just, I couldn't thank God enough for what a blessing this car was. It's what exactly what I was praying for. And I said, man, I'll, I'll pay you back. I'll pay every cent that you poured into this. And he goes, no, I don't want that. God called me to, to, to bless you in this way, and I want that to be. And so not only was this car really cool looking and kind of zippy, like it's not very fast. It's a Nissan Altima, so it didn't have a lot of speed. But, man, it got up and got, right? So, like, you hit that, that gas, and it just took off. But, and it was special to me for, in a lot of different ways. But the biggest way is that, man, it was just this huge blessing to me. And so for a couple of months, I drove this car uh, at the job I was working at in Michigan, and, and I love this car, man. I just, I just grew to love it. I, I put uh, things inside of it. I'm, I'm a big tech head, so I'm like, I'm putting like Bluetooth speakers in there and things, you know, just decking it out on the inside. And so our next year, life action starts, and the what happens for a team member's car is you leave it at camp, and the camp staff helps take care of it. And if you've been at life action, if you've ever met a guy named Chris Gallo, has anyone met Chris in here? Chris Gallo, yes. Okay, Chris Gallo is one of the coolest guys at camp. Okay. He's this incredible mechanic that, that Life Action has, and he just works on every vehicle that Life Action uh, has. And so when we left it there, what they do is they turn the car on every so often and drive it around and make sure that it doesn't stay idle for so long. And so six months go by, we're traveling on the road, and winter break comes up. And so we go back to Life Action Camp, I get my car, and I turn my car on, and immediately when I turn my car on, I realize that my car sounded different. I was like, this just sounds completely different than what it used to sound like. And so I called Chris, and I said, Chris, did something happen to my car? He goes, oh, yeah. We opened up your, your car to change the oil, and we realized that your engine had two broken engine mounts on it. And your engine was actually shaking a little bit. And so the reason it sounds different is because it's what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> and I said, really? Okay. So the car I've been driving for the past couple months isn't what actually my car sounded like. But now that he changed these engine mounts and it didn't shake as much as it did, it actually sounded like a Nissan Altima now. And the difference that I heard was not a bad difference. It was a, 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 almost like a, a repair difference. It was, it was completely different, to, you know, back to the original state of what the car is supposed to sound like. And so when we come to know God and we come to build a relationship with him, a lot of times our exterior will change. We'll, look, we'll go to church. We'll dress up. Maybe shave every so often. Uh, we'll say good morning. We'll shake hands. We'll pray. We'll read our scripture. But when it comes to what we say and what we sound like, it's still the same. See, the exterior change, the, the, that's still a Nissan Altima. And on the outside, it looks like a great Nissan Altima. But on the inside, it didn't sound like a Nissan Altima. And a lot of us go through this life proclaiming to know God and, and, and calling God our Savior. But when we speak to others and the way we sound and the words that we say, nothing has changed. And don't 
mishear me. I'm not standing up here and, and saying, listen, you guys all need to change the things that you're saying. I'm part of that as well. And the passage we're reading this morning is in James. James chapter 3, starting in verse 2. And James, man, he just doesn't pull punches. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't get to a point. He just gets you there. And as I become a youth pastor and as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that one-liners just come really fast to me. And so I've always said James doesn't play games. He is straight to the point, very serious, and he uses extremely strong language to really show the tongue that we're supposed to hold as a disciple. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3, starting at verse 2, and if you could stand for the reading of God's word. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put into the bits a mouths of horses so that they may obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among a members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Jump down to verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then it's peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. You may be seated. In this passage, James is, he just uses incredibly strong language to talk about our language. And I don't think that's a mistake. Like, I hear the words that he uses, and it just pulls up an incredible amount of imagery to describe how we use our tongue. And in so many different aspects of life, there are so many different ways we use our tongue that does not glorify God. And I really want to point to the points that that James is pointing to in this passage. And there are four key points for our tongue that James has, James has for us. Verse 2, he says, For if anyone does not stumble in many ways, or everyone will stumble in many ways, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. What's really funny about that is who was perfect? Jesus, his half-brother. And so what he's saying is, is if you say you are perfect in all your ways... You're a liar because there's only one who ever did that. And his name is Jesus. And he's able also to bridle his whole body. If he put into the, nips, the bits, uh, uh, into the mouths of horses so they may obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also so they may be so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So what James is doing in this passage is he's showing us that we have incredible, immense power with our tongue. 
And I just want to pause there for a moment. The moment we start to realize our tongue is as powerful as James is mentioning, and not just realize it, but actually live that out, the things that we say and how we say them come out differently. Or they should. So we live by that old adage all the time that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Can I be honest for a second? That's one of the biggest lies I've ever heard. And there's been so many deep heart scars that I have by someone, something that someone said rather than the scars that I have on my skin. And their words have reached so much deeper than the injuries that I've gone through. Words have incredible amount of power. In the moment we start to realize that, and not just realize it, but live it out, we speak differently. This is why James starts this passage this way. He starts it out by showing us that our tongue has an incredible, immense power, and when we start to live that out, then he moves on. But he said, first you must know that your power has the, that your tongue has the power to build and destroy. He, he pulls up this image of a horse. I didn't grow up with horses. Some of you guys have horses, and that's amazing. Man, I'm going to come to your ranch sometime and see some horses, because I just love horses, but I never grew up with them. But my Nana had three or four horses. And something that I've always said about horses is they are just incredible creatures. They're amazing, right? If you get to know a horse, they're incredible, because they're incredibly big, they're incredibly strong, they're incredibly fast, they're incredibly intelligent, and not just regularly intelligent, but like emotionally intelligent. My nanny used to say all the time, when you rode a horse for a long time, it knew what you were going through. You could ride a horse and you could be stressed or happy or sad, and it knew by the way you were riding the horse, it knew what you were going through. And it would respond directly to that. And what James is saying, these incredibly smart, magnificent, intelligent, emotionally intelligent creatures can be directed by one small little piece of metal. And then he pulls up this image of a boat, right? This huge, like I, I don't imagine the boats that they had back in James's time were about as big as the ones we have now. But if you look at like a freight liner or any kind of huge yacht or, or whatever it may be, cruise, and you look at the percentage of how big that boat is percentage-wise to the rudder, it's usually a lot smaller than the boat. And yet... Wherever that pilot turns, the rudder turns the boat and it directs where it's supposed to go. And then he says, your tongue, though it be small, boasts in great things. Our tongues have incredible amount of power. And we need to see that image that our tongue has more power than we realize and it's not just a power thing, but it also directs, it guides, it builds, it steers where the body goes. And it boasts of great things. Matthew twelve thirty four. this is Jesus, and he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we have to realize that our tongue is from our heart. The things that we say actually shows what the abundance of our heart is. And when we realize the power, it, the build, to steer, destroy, man, it should change the way we think. 
And then he continues on with that same adage, to destroy. In verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting up on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I don't know about you, but I read that passage, and I'm like, okay, James, okay, I will no longer speak ever again, right? I'm just going to become mute for the rest of my life. But that's what he wants us to understand is he doesn't want us to be mute, but he wants to realize the things that we say have an incredible, immense power to build, to steer, but also to destroy. You see, sometimes it's not just about the words we say, but it's the power of the tone that we have. The power of the inflection or the body language we give off. And, and, and James realizes that when you see the power that your tongue has, man, you start to speak slower and, and think differently when you start to respond to other people. He wants us to realize that our tongue has incredible amount of power. And then he continues on. In verse 9, he says, With it we bless our Lord, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So James points to this power that our tongue has, but then he says, "Then you, this is how you use it. You come to Sunday mornings, and you praise, and you worship God, and you're so thankful for him, and you're thankful for revival, you're thankful for the, the things he's given you, and you're blessing, you're like, thank you, God, thank you so much, and then someone cuts you off in the street, and you just lose your mind for a little bit. Or you're sitting in your prayer time, and you're like, man, God, thank you so much for all the things that I have. Lord, I'm, I, I just bless your name. Lord, I sing praises to you. And then your children annoy you, and you just, <laughs> you just blow up. And he's saying, guys, brothers, this is not the way God intended for our tongue to be used. It can build and break down, and it can lift, and it can destroy. And it's not just about the words, it's about the tone and inflection that we use. You see, sometimes the way we say something says more about what we're saying than what we actually said. Let me say that a little bit differently for Sometimes the tone and inflection we use speaks more to the motivation of what we're saying than the actual words that we're saying. And that's why I think James is very specific on the words he uses to describe our tongue. Something that I've always said is that Scripture says a lot by what it doesn't say. James doesn't say the words. Notice that. James doesn't say, your words have power to build and destroy. The, the words you use are a part of the body that destroys. No, he says your tongue. Because he knows and realizes it's not just the words we say, it's how we say them. It's every aspect that we communicate to another person that motivates or, or builds or destroys in people. It's not just tone and inflection or anger that James is talking about. It's, it's in any way that we communicate to another person. And it either builds, breaks down, it uplifts or discourage. He uses that word curses too, which I think is a really interesting word to use. Because a lot of times we think the word curses, we think of like cursing or anger. But I think 
we actually hurt others and curse others by things that we don't really see as curses. This past week, I pulled some Christian friends of mine and just asked them, hey, what are some Christian sayings you just heard in church? What are some things you just heard people say at a church? And this is some of them. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. God will never give you more than you can handle. God wants us to be happy. Money is the root of all evil. What would Jesus do? Amen to that. I haven't heard any of that this week, this morning, but we'll get there. I'll pray for you. Bless your heart. I heard that a lot growing up. There's grace for that. You see, we know that some of these, they aren't scripturally based, but some of them are. And I thought that was very interesting when I polled that some of them, like we know for sure that that is not what scripture says. And we just say them offhandedly. But some of them are scripture based. And you're like, that doesn't hurt people. One of the ones that stuck out to me the most is, I'll pray for you. You know why that one stuck out to me the most? What is the tense of that sentence? It's a future tense. I will at some point pray for you. And when I thought about that, that is a sentence that I use quite often. And my motivation is not the person in front of me. My motivation is to get out of the conversation I'm in and to finish it and to leave. And then I look at Jesus, and the only other time he really talked in future tense was when he was talking about promises and prophecies that he was giving to people, that, to the people he loved. But when he would sit with people in their homes and eat dinner with them, he was immediate to lending an ear and listening to what they were saying and spending time with them and speaking life into them. Not in a future chance, but right there in that moment. You see, some of these sayings aren't about the words themselves. They're by our intentions behind them. Sometimes we use these words just to get out of conversations or that we don't really care. Or, and, and what we're really showing people is this motivation of, I care about more what I'm doing right now rather than caring about what you're going through currently. The, the sentence, bless your heart, is one I've heard a lot growing up. Bless your heart. Oh, bless your heart. And I think there's a lot of good and attention behind that. But can I be honest with you for a second? That sentence is one of sympathy, not empathy. Hey, I'm sorry you're going through that. But I, I got things I'm going through. Hey, you're going through those things and I hear you. Man, bless your heart. You're okay over there. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. When you could be the one Jesus is pushing to that person to provide a word of healing or love for that person. See, I don't think these phrases are all bad. Some of them are. And we use them offhandedly just to have a side motive or not care. And I believe when James talks about cursing others with the same mouth we bless our Lord, I think this is also part of that. Which ones do we use the most? Why do we use them? I think there's a reason James talks about being slow to speak. Quick to hear and slow to speak because a lot of times we're so fast in our response and we just say stuff offhand like this and we don't realize the damage it does to people. And not just fellow believers, but people who don't know God. 
Sometimes we're so focused on getting groceries and getting our kids out of there and making sure that they're home and they're fed and then make sure the dishes are done, make sure my clothes are set up for the next morning. If you're not me, I don't do that. But you just, you're so focused on, on what your plan is for the day, you miss the clerk who needs to hear God right in front of you. And I'm not saying you have to sit there for an Asbury revival, right? But just spend time with them. Get to know them. Get to hear what they're going through and just say, hey, can I pray for you for a second? Do it right then and there. Don't wait because I know if you're like me, man, I will say I'll pray for you and then I'll forget that person's name or what they even look like. And I'm like, "What, God, you know what they're going through. I'm praying for them. And that's not a heart for people. That's a heart for myself. With the same mouth comes blessing to our Lord. And the same mouth comes curses to people who are made in his likeness. Man, these things ought not to be so. How are we using our tongue in a way that glorifies God? Are we using it in a way that shows others that we actually do care? Like, we can talk about caring all we want, but until people start hearing it from our mouths in the actions that we produce, they won't see that. What kind of damage have we done to others? And on the flip side, how much healing... Can we let God do through our mouths? How much healing can we stop and take a moment for a person and say, hey, let me pray for you real quick. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this person. Would you just uplift them? Would you, whatever they're going through, God, would you give them your love and your grace and your mercy as you did on the cross? Boom, done. You're out of there. We can't take three seconds to pray for someone. We use our tongue in a way that it can build and it can uplift, but it also can break and discourage. As James continues on, he continues on in verse 11, and he really gets to the heart of the issue. See, he's been talking about the magnitude and the power that our tongue has, and he also talks about how we use it sometimes and how these things ought not to be so, but then he goes, this is the real issue, though. Verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, and a grapefruit produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I, I worked at a greenery at one point in my life. Uh, I, I don't know a whole lot about plants, but working at a greenery, you kinda, like, you're kind of forced to learn things about plants. And one of the things that I learned is that when a tree grows fruit, that's the type of tree it is. So if... An apple tree was in our yard and it started growing pears. It is no longer an apple tree. It is a pear tree at this point. And what James is saying is the same thing. Why is it that we are followers of Christ, disciples of him, and yet the fruit that we produce from our mouths are not of him? It shows our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, it, it's not an external issue. It's not about our tongue. It's not about the words. It's not about the inflection. Those things come when we start to change our heart. You see, that Nissan Altima was great. Love that Nissan Altima. It looks good. I, I was excited that the car was a nice-looking color and that it was all fixed up. And on the outside, it looked like a Nissan Altima. But on the inside, it never sounded like one until it spent time with the repairman. Some of us are trying to sound 
and look like a Christian. But we never spend time with our repairman. It's not an external issue. It's an internal issue. And can I be honest with you for a second again? It's not a good enough excuse to say I have a sin nature. That's what Pastor Luke has been talking about, right? That being a disciple is not things, doing things. And that's what I love about James. The whole book of James is all about doing good works for our faith. But he never stops there. He didn't say, just do good things, right? He didn't just say, just do good things for, for, for God and you'll be good. He says, out of the heart, you will serve God. To be a disciple, to have the tongue of a disciple, it has not come from just doing and working hard on things you say. It's spending time with the Lord and knowing what to say and what not to say. If you're like me, and I was writing this message, and I was just, man, it just hit me like a wave of bricks. <laughs> and it just poured down on me, and I'm just sitting there, and these are my thoughts. God, I don't want to change. God, I don't want to sound different. God, the jokes that I make with my friends that are vulgar and, 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 and joking and just out of jokes, God, those aren't glorifying to you, but I don't want to change that because they're going to see me and think of me differently. And God says, I know they will. That's what I want. I want them to notice something different in you. I want them to notice that when you gave your life to me, something actually changed. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to who? Your Father in heaven. Yes. And it, it's... It's not a good enough excuse to have a sin nature. If I know God, if I know the repairman, why do I keep running from him and wanting to sound like I want to sound? It's not an external issue. It's a heart issue that we need to give to God. Spend time in his word. Spend time with him. And what I love about James is he doesn't just leave us hanging, right? Like he doesn't just punch us in the gut and then say, all right, see you later. But he actually shows us, hey, you want to start speaking like a disciple? Here's how you do it. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is forced pure. He's saying, before you ever speak, before you ever respond, before you ever say anything, is our ever first response to say, God, what would you have me say here? If the wisdom is from above, why do we just automatically say what comes out of our heart? He's saying it should be like a coffee filter. If you want to first be pure in the things that you say, if you want to start sounding like a disciple, it must first come from the wisdom that God has. And that's in here. That's in prayer. That's with each other, uplifting and encouraging, strengthening with the truth and love that God has given us. That's where wisdom comes from. And then it's always this just this coffee filter is what I'm about to say from God. Is it the wisdom of God or is it the, the arrogance of me? Some of you guys have met 
him, and he's been here before, but there's a guy at Life actually named Shane Black. Awesome dude. Love this guy. He's just an amazing mentor to me, and I got to travel with him a couple of times on the road and, and watch him interact with people. And Man, he's an incredible speaker. But I think there's something to Shane that is so much more than just a speaker. I've watched him interact in staff meetings and with people just in the congregation. And there's one thing that Shane does every single time that just blows my mind. We'll be sitting in a staff meeting, and Shane will just hear what they're saying and then stop and not say anything. And he'll just be sitting there. And I'm like, this is the most awkward situation I've ever been in. They just share their heart, and you're not saying anything. But what he's doing, and he's told me this before, he sits, listens to what is being said, and then listens to the Father. Before any word comes out of his mouth, he listens to what the Father says and then says that. Because his, he knows his words are not full of wisdom and purity. But it goes through this filter to be pure, and that's through his words. God, what would you have me say in this moment? God, this person is struggling and dealing with a bunch of issues and I don't have the answers, God. Or I can make up a bunch of answers. I can just kind of say, you know, whatever, word vomit for a little bit. Maybe it'll make them feel better. But God, you have the wisdom from above, not me. God, would you say that? And I think the reason Shane actually does speak after that is because he knows the word. He knows who his father is. He knows what he's going to say because he spends time with him. And so often we want to sound like a disciple, but we never put in the work to spend time with him and know the repairman to allow him to fix us in these areas. It's first wisdom from God, and it's pure. And then he continues on and he says, then it's peaceable. That the wisdom from God is pure, and then it's peaceable. Is what we say always peaceable? I don't know about you, but like, some things I say, I'm like, oof. I'm really standing firm on this, this hill that I'm standing on, and I'm really creating division and not peace and chaos and not peace. But is what we're about to say creating peace? So often it's easy to have opinions about stuff and not realize the chaos that it creates with the things that we say. Is what we're about to say peaceable? And then he says, then it's gentle. Now, I don't know about you, I, I, I can't speak for the women in this room, but as a guy, when I hear that word gentle, it just like, I'm immediately like oil to water. I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to be near it, right? It's this very like happy and, and, and very soft sounding word, gentle. I'm like, ugh, I don't want that. And what James is saying is not to fluff up the things that we say, but to stand firm in truth and use gentle speaking tones and inflections with others. That the wisdom from God is truthful, but it's also gentle. That's what I love about my father. Can I share that with you? That's what I love about him, is that he is truthful and firm and yet gentle at the same time. And we are called to be like that. Gentle. That we can stand firm in, in what we're saying, that, that the truth from Scripture, and we know we we're trying to help somebody, is firm, and we're trying to get them to understand. We stand firm in that truth, but we allow ourselves to have a sense of peace and gentleness when speaking to them. 
and this comes back to all of our tone and inflections, are the tones that we're using. Is it always gentle? Sometimes we just say things out of a reaction. We say things just like offhandedly and not really realizing the chaos and the ungentleness that comes from it. And we actually end up doing damage to those around us. So we need to be careful and peaceable and gentle when it comes to speaking to those around us. The next thing he says is open to reason. This one's big. Man, when we're speaking to others, are we always open to a reason? For me, I, I am a very passionate person. I love the Lord my Father in heaven. I love food. I love Texas. I love sports. I love video games. And I'm very passionate about those things. And I will talk about those things. And for a very long time, I had this pride of, I am right. Man, I will tell you till I'm blue in the face that Bluebell ice cream is the best ice cream you will ever buy. Why does this pretty good? Why does this pretty good? But Bluebell is still, I don't know if it's a Texas thing. It's a pride, okay? God's working on me, all right? But I will, I used to argue, argue so much about these dumb little topics of how Whataburger is so good. And knowing in the back of my mind that it is not that great, okay? But it's amazing. And I used to argue until I was blue in the face and not really realizing the pride that I was showing others that I had. That sense of open to reason is always this thought of, man, maybe they have something to teach me and I have something to learn. Or maybe what they're saying is actually right and I'm wrong. Rarely do we live in that kind of humility when speaking. And we need to be open to reason. It doesn't matter who's right and what's wrong. What matters is people's hearts and the truth that Scripture brings. And arguing actually creates the opposite sense that we think it creates. We sometimes think arguing creates a sense of, well, they have to know this is right. And you're right. People should know that God is the word of truth. And sometimes when we're arguing with people about this, we're like, man, they need to know this. But when we argue, we actually have an opposite effect from others. We don't allow them to hear their voice be heard, and they just never want to be around us ever again. And we actually cause damage when we're not open to reason. And then he goes on to say mercy. When we speak to others, are we merciful? Are we forgiving? And do we seek forgiveness when people, or when we hurt others? Are we full of mercy? I don't know about you, but how often do, do I speak in a sense of mercy? When someone hurts me, my initial response is, is just to react so heavily or to shut down and never interact with that person ever again. And when it comes to our words, and James is encouraging us, hey, listen, if, if wisdom comes from the Father and you want to know what to say in the next moment, man, mercy has to be a part of that. You have to love that person to a point and extent where forgiveness is never not on the table. That's always there. We have to live in a wisdom through God, through heaven. It has to be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, and full of mercy. And then he ties it up in the end. He says, good fruits impartial and sincere good fruits the things that we say we say should produce good fruit 
It should allow others to know who Jesus is and for them to come to know him. Do our words always show or produce good fruit? Impartial. Late early on in, in the book of James, James talks about the sin of partiality, which is just the sin of favoritism. Our minds naturally create values on people. When we meet them, our family, strangers, whoever it may be, we naturally create values to people. And God never intended that to be. And so when we speak, are we impartial? Do we favor something over someone else? Or do we say favor someone over someone else? And the last one, sincere. Man, in the, in the young adult Bible study this morning, we talked about authentic faith and this word authentic. I think of the word genuine. When someone speaks to you, do they hear a, an air of genuineness, sincere, no ulterior motives, no uh, secondhand uh, pursuits? You are sincere and loving them and getting to know them by every word that you say. We have to be, first, wisdom comes from God and it comes from above and it's pure and then it's peaceable and it's gentle, it's open to reason. It's full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And I love, like early in the passage, when he mentions, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Man, if we're to live in that coffee filter of first letting it go through God's wisdom from above, then allowing him to be pure, and then living in a, a place of peaceful, peacefulness and then gentleness and open to reason and mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. That's a long list of things to go through every time I talk to a person. And so, But if I knew all those things before I talked to somebody, man, I'd be slow to speak. I'd be quick to hear what they're saying. This morning, and James just encouraging us to the power of our tongue is immense. And as followers of Christ, as disciples of him, our tongue should sound differently than any of this world produces. And one thing that he, he mentions throughout the scripture, but I want to mention again, is there's grace for us in this. There's grace for us in this. It's, it's not just... A condemning message. It's not just one where it's like, hey, you better watch your tongues, and if you don't, you know, God's coming after you. No, it's one full of grace and knowing that there is a growing process with our tongues. And it's always in pursuit of Him. And the more time we spend with God in earnest, seeking to grow in this area, He will give us strength to sound like Him. And so this morning, man, would you just join me? Like, I struggle in this area, too. I, I, as a pastor, I am not excluded from the, the power that my tongue holds in destroying others. But would you join me as we come to just sit before the altar and would we just seek God's face in this moment? That God would revive not just our tongues, but the interior, our heart as well. So that what comes out of our mouths actually shows the abundance of love that we have for our Father. And so... I'm going to open up the altar here in the moment. I'm going to pray. And if you just feel a response, you're like, God, James is right. I, I've 
misused my tongue and I've not seen the great power that it has. And Lord, I need your love and I need to be slow to speak. And, and God, I just need you. And so as I pray, would you just come before the altar and would you seek his face as we sing this next song? Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, what you're doing in Asbury is so amazing. It's so encouraging and uplifting, God. And Lord, this morning, would you just continue to revive our hearts so that when we speak to others, it is one full of your love and your mercy and your joy, God. Lord, as we come just before you in this moment, Lord, we need you. It's not a, and I'll, I'll ask you or I'll seek you whenever I can, God. It's, it's God, I need you now in this moment. My tongue has got me into so much trouble, Lord. And it's caused so much damage to others. And Lord, I ask for forgiveness. And Lord, would you help those who I've hurt heal from what I've said? And God, would you allow me to, to speak in the way you've called me to speak? Would you allow my exterior not just to be one of exterior change, God, but one of interior change as well? That my heart may change for you and out of the abundance of my heart, my love for you, my mouth speaks. Lord, God, thank you for James, for your half-brother's message in our heart, God. As we leave this place, will we just glorify you with everything we say and we do? And will we just respond in knowing that we need you? We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this together.